Chapter 2 Two days later, I was still avoiding Alicia's phone calls. Hi, Fitz. It's me. Just checking in. The voice that once sounded so sultry on the phone now shot fear up and down my spine. Hey, Fitz. It's me again. Must have missed your call. Want to get together for dinner? All right, Fitz. I get the idea. I thought you'd at least be man enough to call me back, but I guess not. The tone wasn't sultry. It was angry. I deleted the last voicemail and shoved my smartphone back in my pocket as I drove. I was on my way to a new case. Chase Hawksworth, owner of Full Bore Drilling, hadn't seen his daughter in a week. Hawksworth was a relative newcomer in Fawcettville, and whether he was welcome was a subject of some debate. I knew from Mary Margaret, who ran a public records check on him prior to my appointment, that he was facing at least three lawsuits in Common Pleas Court. Two were from landowners on either side of the fracking field where I was meeting him. They accused Hawksworth and Full Bore Drilling of poisoning their wells. When the suit was filed, I remember TV news reports showing these folks opening their faucets and lighting the flowing water on fire to demonstrate how natural gas had seeped into their wells and ruined their lives. One couple was interviewed standing beside a pallet of bottled water stacked in their garage. The third lawsuit was the oldest, filed by a group of local tree huggers that called themselves Save Our Undeveloped Land, or Soul. When full bore drilling arrived in town, Soul filed an injunction to get the company to stop until, as the case said, the definitive effects of hydraulic fracturing on the environment can be fully explored. Citing current Ohio law and the research Soul hotly disputed, Hawksworth had his lawyers give the group the finger, at least legally, and started building platforms in the northwest part of the county. Folks who'd been unemployed for years, and that was most of Fawcettville, welcomed Chase Hawksworth and his fracking company like the second coming of Christ. Full bore drilling with its logo of a razorback hog and a hard hat running toward a derrick brought the most important thing to this eastern Ohio town, something it hadn't seen since the steel mills and the blast furnaces closed down. Full bore drilling brought jobs. Fracking itself brought a kind of gold rush mentality that every farmer was going to make a million by letting this dirty search for energy occur on their land. Fracking, hydraulic fracturing technically, meant drilling a well and shoving chemically loaded water at high pressures through the shale beneath the surface. That water released the oil and natural gas held within the rock, pumping it back to the surface. Wells were drilled down, sometimes a mile or more then turned horizontally before what looked to me like a geological enema took place. No wonder Soul had filed suit. Some farmers had made a shitload of cash, leasing lands for up to 5000 an acre to the fracking companies, the same lands that had garnered 30 bucks an acre at auctions. Others allowed more speculative companies to drill their lands and found themselves with farmland that could best be described as raped when nothing was found and the speculators pulled out. I'd been a lifelong resident of Fawcettville and knew how the town could rise or fall. It was rising now. There were jobs again. Money for the arts, which disappeared when the steel mills closed, was flowing again. Fracking companies, of which Full Bore was just one, underwrote symphony programs where Gracie had once performed, endowed scholarships at the college where she taught music theory and cello, and provided grants to the local hospital where she died. I thought about the folks next door to this site, the folks with the water that burned a blue flame and wondered how soon it would be before the gas and oil would be gone and these companies, like the steel mills before them, would be gone as well. 
I pulled my excursion into the dirt road that led to the drilling site. The lane shot off one of the county's two-lane roads, the entrance deep and wide and rutted by big construction equipment hauled in by semi-trailers. On either side of the access road was barbed wire fencing. Black and white cattle grazed there, occasionally looking up at me as I drove past. I slowed to watch a steer take a drink from a thin, wet shoelace of a creek that ran through the property. And I cringed, wondering if Soul's concerns about the groundwater were true. Would that animal be part of the food chain by the time they were proved right? Or wrong? What would the consequences be down the road to have a steak from that animal on my plate? I didn't want to think about that right now. I turned my attention back to the rutted dirt road and the drilling site coming into view. Hawksworth was meeting me in the construction office, a tan trailer on wheels like many other construction offices I've seen over the years. It sat on the edge of a makeshift gravel parking lot filled with four-wheel-drive pickup trucks and men in hard hats leaning on bumpers, eating their lunches from the coolers. The derrick, about 200 feet to the east of the office, was still under construction. It didn't look like the derricks from movies I remember, like Giant. This one was tall and narrow. Once it was complete, it would run 24 hours a day, with semi-trucks filled with fracking sand and water driving up and down what had been a quiet country road. The light from the site would outshine the moon as the sound of diesel generators would break through the night and a chorus of roustabouts beating on metal would drown out the crickets. I could see both sides. That noise meant jobs. Jobs meant food for your wife and kids. Jobs meant those kids could go to college, grow up in a house you paid for, and play on soccer teams you drove them to in the dependable car you bought. On down the road, maybe time and tides would decide whether it was worth it. I knocked on the construction office door. Come on in, it's open. A voice I assumed to be Hawksworth's called from inside. The inside of the construction office wasn't much different than others I'd seen. There was a metal chair, a topographical map tacked to the wall, and a metal desk that had a dent on one side. Dark and greasy equipment I didn't recognize, probably drilling parts, sat in one corner. Three ring binders stood haphazardly on a cheap wooden bookshelf. A little pile of brown dirt sat on a piece of newsprint at the corner of the desk. Hawksworth himself was about my age, that is to say, mid to late fifties. His hair was cut in a gray flat top beneath his yellow hard hat, and he had the lines on his face that told of working outdoors for many years. What gave him away as the CEO were boots that weren't quite as worn as the men's outside eating their lunches. His L.L. Bean barn coat didn't show anywhere at all. Hi, Mr. Hawksworth, I said, extending my hand as he stood up from the desk chair. I'm Niccolo Fitzhugh, Fitzhugh Investigations. You called about your daughter? You say she's missing? Yes, I haven't heard from her in days. I brought her here to Fawcettville when we started this drill, and apparently she's disappeared. He indicated I'd take one of the metal chairs in front of his desk. He sounded more pissed off about it than upset. Is she a minor? If she is, you need to call the cops. They can help you better than I can. She's not. She's an adult. Yes. As an adult, she is allowed to disappear if she wants to. You are aware of that, correct? My daughter, Mr. Fitzhugh, has problems, Hawksworth barked. When I don't hear from her on a daily basis, I assume the worst. I nodded. I understand, so tell me about her. Hawksworth took off his hard hat, sat it on the bookshelf before sitting down at the chair behind his desk and folded his hands. 
His eyes didn't have the sad, defeated look of a parent who's done everything they can to make their children behave. Mr. Fitzhugh, he began. Call me Fitz. Fitz. My daughter was a meth addict at one point. She's had every advantage. Good schools, a great home like I thought. But every step of the way, she's made stupid decisions. Very stupid decisions. I understand. I was a cop for 20 years. I saw a lot of stupid decisions made by kids. Enough stupidity to float the seventh fleet. What I didn't tell Hawksworth was that it was likely his generosity that led her down this path to start with. If this girl had grown up with my parents, she'd have been shooting frothed milk into cappuccino cups at Puccini's Italian bakery like I'd done as a teenager, or working as a cashier like my sisters had done at the local grocery store. So what's her name? She can go by a number of different names. Her addiction has led her to a number of, shall we say, skirmishes with the law. My daughter's legal birth name is Sarah. She has my idiot ex-wife's maiden name as her middle name, which is Hunter. I didn't like the way this was heading. I stopped taking notes and looked him in the eye. Has your daughter ever been married? Yes. And would her married name also be Pelfrey? Chase Hawksworth leaned forward. Yes. She was married to a college classmate, Ian Pelfrey. The marriage lasted six months and they had no children, but for some goddamn reason she insisted on keeping his name. Maybe she was sick of mine, who knows. At least it's allowed me some distance between her and her stupidity. Do you know where my daughter is, then? I shifted uncomfortably in my chair. How much contact did he have with his daughter? How much had she really told him about her life? I was hired by prosecutor Alicia Lennerman to guard your daughter as she was waiting to testify against Pablo Hernandez. Earlier this week, my assistant Mary Margaret and I kept watch over your daughter for three days in a hotel room outside of Cleveland. Do you know who Pablo Hernandez is? Hawksworth shook his head. No, I do not. Probably her latest victim. She had a tendency to con men out of their money to pay for her drugs. Usually after a couple thousand dollars, they learned their lesson that came to me for repayment. I always refused. I leaned back in my chair. This was going to be painful. That's not the case here. About a year and a half ago, Pablo Hernandez shot an 18-year-old kid for shorting him two grand on product. I don't need to tell you that product was crystal meth. Your daughter Sarah witnessed the crime. Hawksworth sighed heavily. Why does this not surprise me? A while ago, Sarah came to me saying she finally wanted to get clean. She wanted to start her life over again. So, once again, I opened my wallet and once again I sent her to rehab. This time I thought it took. I got her teeth fixed. I bought her some new clothes. We had about six months of a decent relationship and then... Shit, she just disappears. It was a little more complicated than just disappearing. At the last minute, Hernandez changed his plea and Alicia didn't need her to testify any longer. This was not an exchange for a lighter sentence. This was out of the blue. The day the trial was supposed to start, Sarah had agreed to testify for the prosecution if she could get into witness protection. When Hernandez changed his plea, Sarah felt confident enough to go home on her own. When we left her at her apartment, she again refused witness protection. Hawksworth pounded a meaty fist on his desk. I jumped. How stupid is this prosecutor of yours? He bellowed, standing to pace. My daughter may be a lot of things, but she was not a Rhodes Scholar. Could your prosecutor not see this? Did she not know she was dealing with someone who, like her mother, my ex-wife, is just... just... He picked up a handful of the dirt at the corner of the desk and let it sift through his fist back to the paper. She's about this smart. It's a little harsh, wouldn't you say? Even if it's true? 
And from what I know of Sarah, yes, it was true. I'm a realist, Fitz. After 20-some years as her father, I've learned to temper my expectations. My efforts to stay in touch with her are not because we are particularly close. My efforts to stay in touch with my daughter are to ensure that she stay out of jail and off drugs. My business doesn't need the bad press. I get enough as it is thanks to people who sit around campfires holding hands singing Kumbaya. I'm aware of that. Make no mistake, Mr. Fitzhugh, I do care what happens to my daughter. I pay her rent, I make her car payment, I'm just not particularly close to her. And I sure as hell don't coddle her. Maybe the reason she turned to drugs and assholes like Hernandez was because she was looking for the love you never gave her, I thought to myself. There's a big difference between opening your wallet and opening your heart. My cell phone vibrated in my pocket. The number was familiar, Fawcettville Police Detective Joe Barnes. Excuse me, I have to take this. Hey, Barnes, what's up? I got a car fire you might be interested in. Why would I care about a car fire? Most of my work involved chasing down unfaithful spouses for local divorce attorneys. Sometimes I did a little insurance investigating, but not a lot. In the course of my day, this isn't anything I give a shit about. Alicia Linneman said you would. Oh, Christ. Why? The car belongs to one Sarah Hunter Pelfrey. She says you know her. Specifically, she said, ask that asshole Fitz who Sarah Hunter Pelfrey is. I shot a sidelong glance at Chase Hawksworth. Okay, so her car's on fire. It was a piece of shit. Cars catch fire all the time. I'm surprised it lasted this long. The problem is the body in the trunk. It's female. 